God's word is uh, amazing and it changes us when we read it. So we're going to be in Colossians 1. Um, we're going to continue in this passage that Sam started last week. It's a, um, a beautiful hymn about Jesus and we're going to kind of be on the tail end of that. Um, our passage this morning is really a natural continuation of that passage. And that, I don't know if you guys were here last week, but that uh, passage was so beautiful. Let's read it again just to kind of remind ourselves of what it says. And then there's a couple of things that I want to point out from the last week's passage before we jump into our passage for this week. So this is in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. And this is talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Such a beautiful picture and reminder for us of who Jesus is. I think practically it can be easy for us to kind of fall into thought, thought patterns and uh, habits that ignore who Jesus actually is and try to form him into what is more comfortable for us. That's why we need passages like this as a reminder of who he really is and who it is that we actually worship. I think if we're honest with ourselves, one of our tendencies as humans is to subtly or sometimes not subtly try to reshape Jesus in our image. To be to have him be who we want him to be instead of who he really is. And this passage shows us that Jesus is not formed in our image. In fact, he's the image of the invisible God. Scripture says that God is spirit and cannot be seen or we would die. But Jesus changes that. He's the perfect incarnation and image of the entirety of God. And he's seeable and knowable. It says he's the firstborn of all creation, a title showing that he is preeminent and above all of creation. We see that this passage shows us that all things were created through Jesus, all things were created for Jesus, and all things are sustained by Jesus. I think sometimes we need a reminder that Jesus was not just a human who walked the earth, did some cool things, died for us, and then went to heaven. He is God. He always has been God and always will be God. When the Old Testament talks about God, it's talking about Jesus just as much as it is about the other parts of the Trinity. Jesus didn't suddenly show up on the scene when the New Testament starts. He has been God for eternity past. He was there in Genesis 1, creating all things for himself. And he's been there throughout the entirety of history, sustaining all things by his power. 
it's important for us to have that mindset, to remember that. We can't allow ourselves to walk through life acting like Jesus is not what life is all about, because it is. It says that we were created for Jesus. It will be our tendency to attempt to minimize Jesus and maximize ourselves. And passages like this remind us that that's just simply not true. So that's where we're at. Um, Let me give us a little bit of context just so we're all on the same page for the book of Colossians. This is a letter written by Paul the Apostle to this church. And this is a church that Paul has actually never been to. Um, He did not plant it. A lot of the churches in the New Testament he did plant, but he didn't plant this one. Um, Their pastor, Epaphras, was struggling with some teachings that were uh, growing in their church body, and so he decided to go on a journey to go find Paul and to ask for Paul's help in how to teach his, his body, his church. So Paul writes this letter to the Colossian church, and we kind of start the letter with him introducing himself and then having this really cool prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossian church, for their faithfulness, for their love for each other, for their love for all the saints, and for their adherence to the truth of the gospel. And then he starts into this incredible passage about who Jesus is. And then from there, we go to our passage this morning. So let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. Picks up right where that left off in verse 21. And it says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let me pray and we will dive into this. Jesus, We are here this morning to worship you together. I pray that you would calm us down, help us to not be distracted, help us to focus, open our ears and our hearts to hear your truth. Your word is truth, and the things that you have to say to us this morning are truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just prepare us to believe your truth this morning. We thank you that you lead us, that you are the head of the body, that we are your church. Amen. All right. So our passage this morning has a heavy emphasis on identity. Who we were, who we are now, and what we do with it. Paul creates this flow chart. And Garrett, if you want to put this first slide up, Paul creates this kind of uh, line of who we were, who we are, and then what we do with who we are. You guys know what I mean when I say identity? I mean how we define who we are. Pretty much everybody finds identity incredibly important. You can look at our culture. We're all obsessed with defining ourselves, with finding our identity, in all sorts of different things. 
whether we identify as, you know, based on our job or where we went to high school, where we grew up, what generation we are, our sexuality, our political party, our hobbies, what we enjoy, our appearance. Everybody has a myriad of different things that we try to identify ourselves with. The problem with identifying ourselves based on those things is they're only a part of who we are. They are things that describe us. They are things that we like or that uh, are a part of us, but they don't get to the core of who we are. And Paul brings us down that road and gets to the core of who we are. One thing I really love about how the Apostle Paul treats identity is every time in Scripture that he talks about who we are, he always starts by talking about who Jesus is. Have you guys noticed that? And that's important because to Paul, who we are cannot be defined without first defining who Jesus is. And that's laid out in our passage from last week. We see that Jesus is the image of God. Like Sam said last week, this idea of him being the firstborn of all creation is a title. It means that he has authority over all of creation, that he is before, that he is above, that he is preeminent. We see that he is the image of God. Jesus wasn't created. He is the complete image of God. And we know from Genesis 1 that our identity is actually also based on the image of God. In Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see from that, that we were created in the image of God, and we see from the passage last week, that the image of God is Jesus. So we were created in the image of Jesus. We were created to image Jesus, to reflect his image. We also see that we were created by Jesus to reflect his image for Jesus. So our identity is completely wrapped up in who Jesus is. That's why Paul always starts that way, because we cannot define who we are without understanding who Jesus is. Does that make sense? So who are we? What is our identity? We can truly know the answer to that by looking at what Scripture says about who Jesus is. We see that we were created by him, through him, and for him. That shapes our identity. Everything that we are is created for the purpose of fulfilling what Jesus has for us. We were created to imitate Jesus. We were created to do his work. We were created for him. Life is not about us, it's about him. We also see that he forms his people into his body, into his church, and he is the head of that body. That's a cool image of Jesus being the head and directing his church as his body to do his work. And we get to join him in that. 
It also says that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, which is a kind of an odd line as we go through this passage, the firstborn from the dead. But we begin to see this disconnect between the reality that Jesus created us to be his image and the fact that we look around and we don't see that. The world around us doesn't look like Jesus. A lot of the time, we don't look like Jesus. There's this strange disconnect between who we were created to be and who we actually are operating as. And so we see this title of Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. And Paul begins to explain what that means as he begins to present the gospel message that Jesus came to help us. He came to restore us to his image. And we can see that Paul says in verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We can see that there's this start that we were something. And we know that that goes back to sin and separation from God. We were alienated and hostile to Jesus because of our sin. Sin separates us from Jesus. It separates us from the source of life. In our sin, we want to replace Jesus as the firstborn. We want to take that title. We want to have authority over over our own lives. We want to define ourselves, create our own identity. And that removes us from the purpose of our existence. It separates us from God. Praise be to Jesus. He isn't okay leaving us that way. So we see that he came in a body of flesh to reconcile us to himself. This morning Sarah read a passage from Ephesians 2. And I want to jump back to Ephesians 2 for a minute. You guys can turn there if you um, would. That would be awesome. We're going to go a little later in the chapter. And Paul really unpacks these things for us. We're going to start in verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We see that he sets this picture that he also sets in Colossians 1. That because of sin, we were alienated. We were separated out from Christ. And we had no hope. That's pretty clear if you look at the world, if, that if you look at culture, that it's pretty hopeless. People don't know their purpose. They don't know why they exist. And there's just no hope because we don't have the truth. We don't know what to do. We don't know who we are, and there's no hope. But it continues. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
We see that Jesus came and reconciled us to himself. He wasn't okay leaving us in our sin, so he took on flesh. He came and lived among us. He came and removed the separation by becoming one of us. And then he died for us to restore us back to our proper identity, to reconcile us back to him. That word reconciliation just means restoration of relationship. So he restores us to our proper relationship, our proper place with him, which is to be defined by his image and to exist under his headship. He reestablishes our original identity and makes it even more clear, organizing us into this church, into the body, and placing himself at the head. So, jumping back into Ephesians 2, starting jumping down to verse 18, it says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see that Jesus restores our identity and reestablishes us into his church, into his body, his holy temple, his dwelling place. That's pretty awesome. We are formed into his body, and not only that, but he comes and he lives in us. We are his dwelling place. We really need to see and understand what Paul is saying about our identity in both of these passages. There's a couple of things that he says characterize our new identity. We've been reconciled to Christ. We now are restored to our relationship with him and we have a new identity that he has given us. And he says that there's a couple of things that uh, characterize what that identity is. He says that you are holy and he says that you're blameless and above reproach. I just want to stop and talk about those things for a minute. Paul says that our new identity is holy and it's blameless and above reproach. It's pretty amazing if we actually think about what those things mean. Let's take them one at a time. We are holy. Throughout the Old Testament, God is described as holy. And there's a couple of different characteristics of what it means to be holy that I think are important for us to understand. The first is that it means to be set apart and unique. So we have this crazy thing where we separate ourselves from God and we attempt to define ourselves and find identity in all of these other things. But Jesus comes, wraps us back into his family, sets us apart with him from the world, and makes us each unique through our identity in him. It's what it means to be holy. We don't need to search for identity in all of these other things to search to find unique identity in all of these other things. We can find our unique identity in Christ. Another thing that holiness means is to be perfect. God is described as perfect because of his holiness. And that is imputed to us here. We are perfect in our new identity. 
I don't know about you guys, but that seems pretty weird to me because I know I'm not perfect. I mess up all the time. I sin, I struggle, I am kind of a mess most of the time. But here's the important thing. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done for us, when God looks at me, he doesn't see those mistakes. He doesn't see those screw-ups. He sees perfection. He sees the perfection of Jesus given to us in our new identity. That's important for us to understand. Another thing that holiness means is to be filled with superhuman power. We are filled with the Holy Spirit in our new identity. We're going to come back and talk about this again in a minute, but I, want to, I just want to point out that this means we no longer have to rely on our own strength or ability. That's another thing about our identity that in our sin, we are constantly trying to be good enough. We are constantly trying to rely on our own strengths, our own abilities. The world is categorized by people based on their abilities. But in Christ, we don't have to rely on our own strength anymore. We can rely on this incredible power of God, the Holy Spirit, who fills us. We are his dwelling place. We kind of have to fly through these things, but... I just want us to soak in these truths of what our identity is. This is who you, if you are saved, this is who you are. This is your identity. It doesn't describe some other person who you can't ever be. This is you. This is your identity. The second thing that Paul says defines our identity is that we are blameless and above reproach. Think about that for a second. You are blameless. That means that we are free of blame, innocent of wrongdoing. I don't know about you guys, but that's incredibly freeing. I think we go throughout our lives and we slowly collect this baggage. We slowly collect the consequences and the blame of the wrong things that we do, of our sin, and we just slowly collect them one on top of the other, until we're so weighted down by our sin that we feel that we need to ignore it or distract ourselves away from it. And so we seek after all of these distractions, these things to keep our attention off of the fact that we are weighted down by the consequences of our sin. But Jesus comes and wipes all of that away. We are free of blame. We're innocent of wrongdoing. When God looks at us, He sees someone who is completely perfect and innocent. That is incredible. This is our identity. That's who we are as believers, as a member of the body of Christ. Now, I know that we can be sitting here and looking at our lives and saying, I don't understand how this could possibly be true of me. Because I see who I am. I see the screw-ups that I make. I see the struggle with sin that I still have. How could that be true of me? We need to realize that Jesus' words, what Jesus declares about us, is more true than what we feel about ourselves. 
Because our identity is based on who Jesus is and he is God, he is the firstborn, he is preeminent, our identity that he declares over us is true. Whether or not we feel it, whether or not we always feel like we are living in it, it's still true of us. We know because of the work of Jesus that when God looks at us, he is perfectly pleased because he sees Christ's identity that he has placed on us. We are holy and blameless and above reproach. Jesus loves you and who he has made you to be. He became flesh and sacrificed himself to make you who you are right now. And you're incredibly precious to him. He proved it by coming and dying for you and restoring your identity. That is the truth that Jesus says about us. I almost want to just stop there because that's so powerful. But uh, Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. And I think the final thing that Paul says is important for us to hear. So I want to continue in this. Paul answers a question that is intrinsic to our new identity. And what do we do with it? He says, We continue in our faith in the hope of the gospel. Garrett, you can put that last slide up that kind of summarizes all that. But we continue in our faith in the hope of the gospel. This begins to speak to that fight that we experience every day of struggling with our old flesh. Paul knows that we are sinful people who still struggle. Jesus knows that we are sinful people that still struggle. But Paul says that we are to continue in the faith, to continue in the hope of the gospel. We know that the gospel message is incredibly powerful. Scripture says that it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Paul gives us the gospel message here. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the gospel message. Jesus came, saw us in our sin, was not okay with it, became flesh, removed the separation, died for us, restored our relationship to him, and gave us a new identity. That's our hope of the gospel. We hope in Jesus and what he has done already for us and who he has made us. Our hope is in the future that we will finally see the truth of those things, that we will experience what is already true about us. Our hope as believers rests fully on who Jesus is and what he says is true we see that we struggle with that. You guys might not, but I struggle with belief. I struggle with faith. I struggle to believe these things are actually true about me. 
But Jesus knew that we would struggle with that. And so he gave us the spirit to help us with our faith. When Jesus left, he left us the spirit. He gave us the spirit to dwell inside of us, to help us with our faith. Among other things that he's here for, the Holy Spirit is here to help us to continue to stand firm in our faith, to do what Paul says our job is. I'm reminded of Mark chapter 9. We went through that. It feels like forever ago when we were in Mark. But um, we saw the story of this man who begs Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says, All things are possible to those who believe. So this man cries out. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's a prayer that we should all be praying constantly when we struggle to believe the truth of the gospel message when we struggle to believe the truth of our identity, we should cry that out to Jesus and to the Spirit. I believe. Help my unbelief. Because he will. We're going to wrap this up. Um, Chris, the band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. I just want to remind us that these things are true about us. This is our identity. And Paul says that our job in our identity is to continue in our faith in the hope of the gospel. And then he ends in this really cool way by saying, he talks about the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We see that there's this natural transition between believing in the hope of the gospel and seeing that We were once hopeless, and we have the hope now. We have been restored to our relationship with Jesus. We are the church. We are doing his work, and that work is to bring the hope of the gospel to those who are hopeless. We see this truth that the gospel has been and is being proclaimed in all of creation, and we get to take part in that. In our new identity, we have hope that people can have. There is hope, and we have it, and we can give it to others. How awesome is that, that we can take part in bringing the same hope that we have to other people? We see Paul here declare himself a minister, a minister of the gospel. All of us are ministers of the gospel. We can all go and help reconcile others to Jesus. All right, we're going to spend some time in prayer and reflection this morning. The band's just kind of going to play for a little bit while we spend some time just thinking and reflecting on these truths. And I really would encourage you guys to whatever method it looks like for you, whether you need to uh, go get by yourself, whether you can pray where you're at, just reflect on these truths of who Jesus says you are the new identity that he has given to you. And if you struggle with faith and belief in that, pray that prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. Ask him to help your unbelief. Jesus looks at you with complete acceptance and love because he has already done the work to make you holy and blameless. Our job is to believe in that, to have faith in it, And he will help us with that if we ask. 
We have a couple of prayer counselors that will be um, around the room. I think Craig is one and Deanne. Um, so if you need someone to pray with you, if you want someone to pray these things over you, please, they're, they're there. Make use of it. Ask them to pray or you can find one of us as pastors or you know, ask someone around you to pray for you. We'd just love for you to spend a couple of minutes in this and then we'll continue in worship. <laughs>